0: are you interested in cracking the customer code
1: you've got customers and we will help you work with them to deliver a great experience to grow your business
0: i'm jeannie walters and i'm adam join us as we learn from those business leaders who get it and a few who don't and together we'll crack the customer code
1: welcome to episode 37 of crack the customer code
0: today we are talking about how the idea of experiences can transform how customers view products
1: And we'll be talking to Ben Blakesley, the senior manager of global social media at Reebok and formerly a marketing manager for Vanguard.
0: And we have a customer zero story about how scam artists are ruining it for the rest of us.
1: They're really ruining
0: it, aren't they? (laughs) As always, those scammers. All
1: right, Jeannie, so let's get away from all these scammers and negativity for a minute and talk about something positive, which is a word from our new sponsor, Service Strategies. Customer experience is hot but are you taking advantage of its huge potential to make your services business more prominent and more profitable? Join service strategies for an informative customer experience workshop in San Diego on October 27, 2015. You'll learn how to create customer success while generating profitable revenue for your services business. The workshop is part of the service industry summit event, which brings together leaders from companies like Cisco, Dell and others to discuss the challenges of a changing service landscape, visit servicestrategies.com. That is servicestrategies.com to learn more.
0: And if you're trying to reach business leaders or customer experience professionals, sponsoring our podcast is a great way to do so. Go to crackthecustomercode.com slash sponsor for full details. So Adam, I've been thinking about something.
1: You know how everything that's good in the world begins with that phrase. So
0: true. <laughs> it's so true. So a couple months ago, there was a viral article from Fast Company that I saw bouncing around the interwebs, and the title was something along the lines of people should buy themselves experiences instead of products if they want to be happy. And while I love that idea, I think that's a little too simplistic. So one of the people who's been really out there talking about happiness and what makes people happy and how we get happier is this author named Gretchen Rubin. She kind of set about to figure out, okay, have I ever really thought about what makes me happy? Have I ever thought about it as a project? Have I ever really looked into the research about what sustains happiness? And one of the things that she talks about that I, I really thought about how we encapsulate products as marketers, as business people, Because to her point, she said, people make this argument that experiences are better than products. But is a camera a product if you're going to use it to have the experience of, you know, going to Africa or just taking pictures in your neighborhood and it makes you really happy? Is that the experience or the product? And so I think what this leads to is how we as people in business have to look at products. It's really not about the thing. And it never has been. And people have said this for a long time, but I like this framework of happiness. So I'm just curious if you've thought about, like, have you ever purchased something as a product that's been more of an experience for you?
1: I'll get back to you. I'm canceling all my Amazon orders right now. (laughs) (laughs) So what I have found is, you know, I've, I've talked about this for a little bit. I think I even did a Monday motivation on it a while ago, which is that you know we value experiences over things. However, I find that things facilitate experiences. So the jet ski by itself is not what makes you happy. It's the weekends at the lake that the jet ski facilitates that make you happy.
0: I agree. Totally.
1: Time to go to the lake. (laughs) But, you know, and I think marketers and companies are really catching on to this. If you look at a company like GoPro, Their entire product is based on facilitating experiences. I mean, they take amazing pictures and they take amazing video. But what they do is more than anything, their whole thing is that they're tiny. They're Mm -hmm. able to be used in sports and all different types of events and activities. And it's that that makes it special because there are other cameras on the market. that can get you that resolution in most cases, or that, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, video frame rate, whatever you want to get all technical, (laughs) but it's, it's the size of the camera and it's the portability and it's all of the accessories they put with it.
0: Well, and I think if you ever hear the founder of GoPro talk, he's very passionate about how it allows these surfers and, you know, skydivers and folks in these kinds of extreme sports that most people never get a chance to experience, it's their opportunity to share that experience with their community and their friends. And that's what he gets really jazzed about. So I think you're totally right about them. And I think marketers are figuring this out because they're starting to realize that the advertisement or the billboard isn't necessarily a picture of the product even. (laughs) Like, that's not really what sells. Because Mercedes had an incredible, successful Instagram campaign and they did it by reaching out to mostly millennial Instagram kind of superstars and what they, the people they picked were really great at photography, like really compelling, interesting, whatever. And they gave them each a Mercedes and said, take a road trip and take some pictures on the Instagram account for us and don't make it a showroom for the car. But the pictures were so fun to follow because they were incredibly interesting. Like one guy, he takes all these pictures with his dog. So most of the pictures were like he and his dog traveling, but sometimes like his dog would be sticking out of the sunroof of the Mercedes. So it was like part of the story. It wasn't just about the product it was about the experience that they had together so you i know, thought they nailed that
1: well absolutely and a lot of sports companies are getting into this i'm interested to uh talk to our guests from reebok in a little bit because they really are using the experience and the feelings associated with their products much more than talking about you know features and benefits and all that typical kind of stuff that we've all come up with
0: i totally agree i can't wait to hear what ben has to say so
1: What is the experience of Crack the Customer Code? (laughs) This is it. It's you and me, Jeannie. This is the experience.
0: Oh, boy. Then we're in trouble, Adam. (laughs) (laughs) And on that note... And usually I'm so positive. <laughs>
1: yeah, thanks a lot, Eeyore. No, you're Eeyore. <laughs> no, no. We have it recorded now. Everybody's listening to it right now. They know who it is.
0: I'm Tigger. I swear. <laughs>
1: all right. Well, I think that's a good wrap for this. I think we all have learned that experiences are better than things. So send me all of your things. <laughs>
0: Our guest today is Ben Blakeslee. Ben is the Senior Manager of Global Social Media at Reebok and formerly a Marketing Manager for Vanguard. Ben is also the author of the book, Get Social, A Practical Guide to Social Media for Business. Welcome, Ben. We're so happy you're here. Thanks for having me. So, Ben, one of the things that I find really fascinating about kind of your career path is how you've gone from some very different industries in similar roles focused on social media. Um, You had a very regulated Uh, industry before, and now you're with Reebok, which is very consumer-driven and kind of part of a bigger community. So I'm curious, just in general, how do you define success on social media?
2: Sure. So, and actually, even before financial services, I was in the music industry doing social media as well. So- Very, um,
0: very varied. (laughs) uh, Yeah, a
2: very varied career path. And to kind of answer your question directly, it all depends on your business goals and objectives. And uh, that's primarily what I talk about in my book in the amount of um, consulting I've done and the companies and industries I've worked for. One of the problems I kept seeing was that people were just trying to do social media as opposed mm-hmm. as to having it actually serve their business needs. And so the way you have to measure success is well, what do you, how do you, what's the goal you, uh, you set out to achieve with the program. And that will help determine what your, your key performance indicators are and your success. Yeah, method. That's interesting. And, uh,
1: you know, you, you mentioned, uh, not just doing social media. So I hate to segue right into a question about follower count, but at one point your, uh, your Instagram followers went up 387% in a two year period. And I know you've been discussing Instagram as an important component to social media strategy. So explain how that happened and, you know, what you think was behind it.
2: Sure. Uh, well, it's, it's really two things coming together. It, it's, it's, uh, and, with just about anything in social media or anything even business related or marketing related, it's all about intent. And you'll probably hear me say this numerous times uh, throughout this conversation. It's all uh, all about purpose and, uh, and direction. And um, for Reebok in particular, when we started to really focus on saying Instagram is a priority channel for us because we know that's where our audience is and we know that's where they're interacting and, and engaging. Um, once we started putting the effort, we started seeing the results.
0: And so when you talk about, you know, what Reebok wanted, one of the things that I, I've heard you speak about is that you want kind of three qualities to bubble to the top for people when they associate Reebok and their social media presence. And I've heard community authenticity and personality. Um, so I hope that's correct. Uh, and yeah, absolutely. so if you're, I, I really love that idea. I love that idea that there are these, qualities that are kind of about who Reebok is as a brand and how they connect with their community. Some of those might go against, frankly, just uh, business driven goals. So how do you kind of balance that idea of, yes, we have goals with social media that are very business driven, but we also want people just to feel like they're part of this community, that we are authentic and that personality is part of this. How do you balance those two things?
2: Sure. Well, anytime I talk to anybody who's looking to use social media for business. It always comes back to whatever your business goals are, um, ultimately you're leading up to sales. Everybody's trying to make money in business. Otherwise it's a charity, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so at Reebok, ultimately everything we do here is in the service of selling apparel and, and shoes. Uh, that said, that's not necessarily social media's role or goal in, uh, in the marketing mix. We leave that to the other channels where it's, it's much more effective for us. I want you to not just love the shoe that we put out or buy the shoe that we just put out. I want you to love the brand and know what the brand stands for. Have some kind of emotional connection for the brand, with the brand, because I want you to be a consumer for life. Mm-hmm. I want you to look at Reebok and I want you to say, I know what Reebok stands for and I'm, an, I, I'm with them on that. Their, their outlook and their view on, on physical fitness as a transformative measure for people and a way to make the world a better place. I'm all for that. And, uh, I want to be connected with Reebok as a whole instead of just this particular shoe that's out there.
0: And so who is in charge of that in internally? Like when you're managing the social media presence, are you the one who says, yes, this fits within that? Or uh, how do you really make sure that everything that goes out to such a large community fits in line with those those ideals?
2: Sure. And yeah, essentially, that is my job. I am the steward of our social media program to say the things that we're doing there fit into that strategy and mindset. Um, you know, it's, it's really easy for certain groups internally to continue to request and say, uh, but we want to sell shoes right now. Mm-hmm. And it's my, my job to make sure that we are thinking long term and thinking consumer focused as opposed to um, tomorrow's bottom line.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, that's great, right. And when you're looking at the industry you're in, there, there's you're, it's really a big player industry. And it's interesting to see what you're doing with social that's differentiating Reebok. And I know you've sort of moved away from celebrity-oriented content to real athlete-focused social marketing. Tell us a little bit about that, how you think it's worked, uh, why you did it, if it's resonated, all that type of stuff.
2: Sure. And I think there's even a key distinction inside of this athlete marketing that we're doing. It's not um, the large professional sports marketing that you've, you've seen in the past from Reebok and its competitors. Uh we are focused on what we call kind of the everyday athlete or the person who lives an active lifestyle. There are amazing heroes and stories within that active population and fitness generation, as we call it, a uh, group of people who are doing amazing things and transforming their world, their community and themselves through fitness. And those are the ones we want to focus on, not these necessarily uh, high on a pedestal type of athletes that you don't feel are accessible. We want pe- we want you to feel like you could actually know these people and be like
0: them. And so do you think the accessibility to these kind of everyday people, is that what's really resonating?
2: Oh, definitely. Um, you know, and again, that aligns so closely with how we've chosen to approach social media here at Reebok. We are not uh, a brand up on a hill speaking down to the people and uh, with some flashy marketing. Uh, our goal is to be the cheerleaders, cheerleaders of the community and to be in and of the people and with the people. Uh, you know, the community is just so important to us. And to separate either athletes or groups of athletes or ourselves from it would kind of be detrimental to that.
0: And so, what what are some of your favorite examples of what Reebok's done to connect with those with that community specifically around? You know, have you had a great Instagram post that you're really proud of that actually helped your community connect? Something like that.
2: Sure, um, we I can think of a few things that just pop proper, proper right to mind. Uh, the most one of the most recent ones is we just launched our new nano 5.0, which is a, a, a training and CrossFit shoe. And, uh, it's, it's a highly anticipated product product in the CrossFit community. And, uh, so it's from a marketing standpoint, it's, it's fairly easy because we just have to help get people excited about it when they're already fairly excited about the, uh, the release. Mm-hmm. So one of the ways we wanted to really pull the community aspect into this was we want people to tell us their stories of why they are really tough athletes. And, uh, so we, um, put together a contest we called armed for action and you can search the hashtag armed for action on instagram and see a lot of the entries we had over 5,000 entries um mm. and we were going to give you know the the top stories or top examples um a pair of the nano shoes before anyone else for them to kind of test it and put it to its limits uh this shoe is infused with kevlar technology to make it one of the toughest shoes that was has ever been made and so we it's uh we wanted to make sure that people um kind of had the opportunity to, to really see how tough the shoe is by, by putting it in these extreme uh, workout conditions. And so we just had like like I said, over five thousand entries of people who were showing us these amazing things. One of the things that that, that that really pops out in my mind um is this example of of we had a number of adaptive athletes or athletes who have what you know some people might term as disabilities, but they see as as strengths and opportunities. And we had a few examples of those come in that were just absolutely amazing. Um, one of them I'm thinking about in particular is a, a gentleman, uh, by the name of, uh, Logan, Logan Aldridge. And he has, uh, he's missing his left arm and he, he actually was one of the contest winners for us. And we sent him the pair of these shoes and the way he put them into the test was he did a huge rope climb as a, as a one-armed adaptive athlete wow. to see him scale that rope with the speed and skill that he has was just inspiring. And those are the kind of things that we love to highlight, and we love to make sure that those stories get told in the community.
0: And it makes it pretty inspiring not to skip a workout when you see something like that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Absolutely, for sure.
1: Well, I like it because I think it's really a lot of where society is now. I mean, so much sports marketing has been aspirational, as in aspiring to be the, the person in the pros or in the NBA or wherever it may be. But this is aspiring to be the best we can be you know, to be, to be in fit and in shape and all that. So I think it's really interesting. And you mentioned uh, one of your hashtags and I know you've got a couple of others. Tell us about a hashtag be more
2: human campaign. Be more human is a big part of why I'm here at Reebok. Uh, You know, when I first was kind of looking at positions, uh, possibly moving my family up to new England um, you know, when I talked to Reebok, I had a lot of the preconceived notions that a lot of people, especially in the U S have about about Reebok. They remember the old days of Allen Iverson, Shaquille O'Neal, and then even before that, the, uh, the original basketball pump with Dominique Wilkins and D and Brown. Um, but I hadn't really thought about or considered them uh, much of recently. But this was a brand that was transforming itself from being that, that uh, top tier elite athlete sport driven to um, the fit the premier fitness brand. And that's through partnerships with, things, with, with organizations like CrossFit, partnerships with Spartan Race, partnerships with uh, Les Mills and, and UFC from combat training perspective. And I saw this company as as poised to really lead this fitness revolution that we've all seen happening. It's getting people off treadmills and out into the world and and really experiencing uh, fitness and transformation through fitness in, in much more primitive and human ways and functional ways. Uh, that's what drives us here, and that's the, the lifestyle that we at Reebok really live. And that's what really um, was the allure for me because I saw this as a way to make the world a better place. You know, if we were just selling shoes here at Reebok, I probably wouldn't work here. I've got better things to do with my time than that. And so we truly feel like our goal and our mission is to help people be the best versions of themselves. And we do that pro- by providing top notch gear and, uh, and footwear to help them really achieve their, 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 their top physical, um, goals. And, and again, that transformation through fitness to help them lead better lifestyles and make their, their world better. So be more human really plays into that mentality of um, it's not about the technology. It's, it's not about, uh, you know, stopping when the little red light blinks, stopping when you've given all that you can give and push yourself to your limit and done your absolute physical um, best. And then, uh, you know, using that to, to grow and, and become even, even stronger and even, even better.
0: And does that translate to the internal culture? Do you guys have cool things going on at Reebok inside the organization that kind of support that mission as well?
2: Non-stop. I mean, this is a company with a very distinct and very strong culture of living that fitness lifestyle. You know, we practice what we preach. Um, it is not required, but it is almost, uh, expected around here that you're going to take an hour, an hour and a half during the day and you're going to go work out. We have a CrossFit box here on campus that's 10,000 square feet of the, of the top gear and almost there are, there are hundreds and hundreds of Reebok employees who, who are members there and go there every day and the coaches there are not just kind of your average uh crossfit coaches these are people who compete at the crossfit games so we are uh, blessed to really have that access to some of the, the really inspiring and, and, and engaging um athletes to help us with our own personal transformation as well as a uh, business transformation
0: it must be a very fit office <laughs> absolutely it very, very
2: much very much is
0: that's really cool
1: that's great. Well, hey, thank you so much, Ben. We appreciate it. This has been very enlightening and illuminating.
0: It has. And if people would like more information about you or your book or, um, you know, just to connect with you, what are the best ways that they can find you online?
2: Sure. You can easily find me on LinkedIn at LinkedIn.com slash in slash Ben Blakesley, or um, I'm constantly on Twitter as Ben U N H. That's B E N U N H. And uh, I'm more than happy. I, lo- I love connecting with and talking with people.
0: Great. And we'll include those in the show notes as well, for sure. But okay. Sounds good. Enjoy your workout today if you haven't already had it. <laughs> yes. Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks for being here with us. Take care. No problem. Bye-bye. That was a great interview, and we have so much to cover today. I want to be sure to remind everybody, join Service Strategies for an informative customer experience workshop in San Diego on October 27th. Visit servicestrategies.com to learn more. And now... It's time for Customer Hero, Customer Zero. And today, our Customer Zero is about
1: fraudsters of all types, but particularly credit card fraudsters.
0: Fraudsters? What do you mean by fraudsters?
1: Those are the scam artists, the people that are making it bad for all of us, the credit card fraud, the gift card fraud, the hackers.
0: So we're basically calling out the criminal element as a Customer Zero, which I would agree with.
1: Exactly, because... (laughs) Their actions affect customer experiences across retail and across all kinds of industries. So I don't know if you're familiar with chip and pin. I think you are. Mm -hmm. And that's what they use in Europe. And it's uh, basically a more secure form of using credit cards. If you have a credit card with a little chip in the corner, that's the chip Mm -hmm. uh, in chip and pin. So uh U.S. is trying to move towards chip and signature and trying to get Everybody to adopt these new readers and the, you know, not just the normal old swipers. So what is happening is on October first, I believe, the credit card company is, companies are saying, if you do not adopt the new chip terminal, you are now possibly responsible for any fraud. Okay. Because right now the credit card companies.
0: They're the ones who assume it, right?
1: They're they're footing the bill in, in almost all cases, all the majors. Basically, they foot the bill for the fraud. And they didn't used to. It's very interesting historically. They didn't used to, but fraud got so bad mm-hmm. it was they either started covering it or they're going to lose customers.
0: Well, it became a competitive advantage in some cases, right? I mean, I know one of the reasons I am pretty loyal to American Express is because I know they're going to take care of that stuff. And actually, they were the first ones who sent me a credit card with a chip in it. So I yeah. I have one already. but. Last time I was in, in London, which was several months ago now, the uh, I mean, it was very, very standard there. Every Everywhere you went, you had to have a credit card with a chip. And the other thing I like about uh, Europe is that in a restaurant, they never take your credit card away. They bring the reader to you. And so you do it right there. There's no printout with your receipt on it or with your number on it. There's no chance that the server is going to go to the back and write down your number and you know, do nasty things with it, which can happen sometimes. So I think they've figured out some of these fraud issues before us in the U.S.
1: Right. And now what's interesting is how this is affecting the customer experience, because all of the fraud and they're reacting to the fraud that's out there and to the technology that allows for such fraud to take place. You know, Mm -hmm. the Target breach, there's an eBay breach. I mean, there's been all these high profile things. And basically, every major retailer, every credit card company, none of them want to be front-page news for a breach.
0: Right. Well, who does? And, and also, <laughs> of
1: course, and, and Visa and all these companies, they don't want to be responsible for retailers who are not upgrading their systems. Mm-hmm. But what's going to get really interesting, so let me paint a picture. So uh, Joe's Pizza Parlor doesn't upgrade their thing on October 2nd. There's credit card fraud, and now... One of the credit card companies says, well, guess what? We're not covering that. Joe's covering that.
0: Mm -hmm. And they're
1: going to try to deduct it from Joe's merchant account. There's going to Joe's going to fight. It's going to be really interesting. It's going to be interesting how the customer gets caught in the middle of that process because the customer has been inconvenienced at all through all of these fraud changes. Definitely. I mean, have you ever had a uh, one of your purchases denied and they texted Mm -hmm. you or called you and you're standing in line rushing to get something and all of a sudden, hey,
0: Yep. That happens when you travel sometimes, too. Sometimes they're so hyper aware of the fact that you're using your credit card in a different place that they shut it down until they can confirm. And if you're traveling and that's the credit card you brought, it can be a huge inconvenience. But I also understand that they're trying to protect me. They're trying to protect others. But we haven't quite found that happy medium of being protected from fraud because of these criminal activities and also being allowed to use the product the way we want to use it. You know, I mean, we want to we want credit cards for convenience.
1: Right. And I've had so many bad customer um, with companies that I've had good experiences with. I've had so many bad experiences in the past year, all because of fraud protection. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've got a business account where I've got a partner and they were the primary on the account. I can't make any changes to the account. hmm. And yeah. it's been actually been a real pain. You know, you, uh, Hey, you got a call here. I got to list out everything you need to do because you haven't been dealing with it. Right. Uh, you get married and change your name.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Okay.
1: And then gift card fraud is really interesting because that's a huge issue as well, because there's so many ways to play with that. And it actually doesn't have some of the security around credit card fraud, So back uh, in like the holidays for 2014, we had our research study on holiday shopping. So I was out doing some radio and stuff. And one of the things I was talking about was never buy a gift card off the rack. Why not? Okay. So you never buy a gift card if somebody has access, meaning somebody has access to it. If it's behind the counter, it's fine. Because what the scammers are doing is they're going in either and taking pictures of all these numbers. And they literally just sit there and sit there and sit there until they bring through. Wow. Okay. And then, so they're sitting at home in their bathrobe, eating their Cheetos, just checking <laughs> the car, checking the card every 30 minutes, checking uh. the list of cards. And when one pops, when you go to the register and you sign up. Right. Okay. And you put a hundred dollars on that card. It's already gone. Boom. They're on Amazon. They're on Best Buy, whatever.
0: Wow. Well, and I've also noticed that a lot of places you can't buy gift cards with debit cards anymore. You can't, they have certain restrictions on even how you can buy them. So they must have had some issues along that route as well of how people were purchasing them were actually fraudulent as well.
1: Oh, I'm sure. I mean, the, the, you know, there, there is always a new um, virus mutation of criminal.
0: Oh, yeah. What, and they never stop. They never but the pr- stop.
1: But the problem is they're messing up the customer experience, and that's what we're here to rant about today.
0: Well, and Not- I think it's a good point to bring up that, you know what, even if you think you know your customer's experience – because your processes are in line, it doesn't actually mean you know the experience that they're walking through. Because if somebody, for instance, has issues with their credit card at a certain store all the time, that becomes the store's problem, (laughs) even if it's the credit card company who might be causing that angst. So it's important to really understand your customer's perspective, not just from your process maps and what you think will happen, but how they live in the real world. And this is something we talk about a lot. Like It's not just the transactional experience. It's about the fact that they are living in the real world trying to get something done. And so if this is affecting your business, it's really good to understand it and understand how you can at least do the best case you can for the customer. That's my rant, sir.
1: Boom. (laughs) I tell you to drop the mic, but it's on a stand.
0: (laughs) You get mad at me. <laughs> yeah,
1: for sure. All right. Well, I think I think we covered fraud. And so I think the, the moral of the story is all frauds just stopped. Yeah,
0: exactly. I think we did it. I think we stopped them. I think we did. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks for listening to Episode 37 of Crack the Customer Code. I'm Jeannie Walters, and you can find out more about me at 360 connectcom
1: I'm Adam Borg, and my website is stick.com. Find more episodes and all of the show notes at crackthecustomercode.com.
0: And please subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher so you'll never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, we'd love your comments or a few stars in a review. Let us know what you like, what we could improve on, or who you would like us to invite as a guest. And please tell
1: someone you know. We love word of mouth.
0: Until next time, take care of yourself. And take care of your customers.